James says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Lord and our God, this is your word, your holy, inerrant, infallible, true word. And Father, we pray that as your word is explained to us this morning, that your spirit would take it and write it upon our hearts. As we come before you as your people, we say to you, speak. We need to hear your voice. We need you to draw near. We need your comfort. We need your encouragement. We need your help. Draw near to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're finishing here in the book of James, and James ends this book in the same way that he starts. In James chapter 1, verse 4, he tells us that the purpose for writing this book is that we may be steadfast and allow steadfastness to complete its work in us so that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James's key theme as he presents his material to us in this book is that we may be spiritually mature and spiritually whole. That we would not stay as baby Christians, but that we would grow up in the faith. Now, he shows us as we travel through the book of James that there are many obstacles in this path towards spiritual perfection and spiritual maturity. There are many obstacles and much opposition. But at the same time, James shows us that God has given us every resource that we will need to make sure that we get to a place of perfection and spiritual maturity. In the beginning of the book, in James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously. He begins the book of James with prayer. He urges us, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, ask God for wisdom. Ask God for those things that you lack in order that you may grow in perfection and spiritual maturity. And just as he started in prayer, now towards the end of the book, he ends once again in prayer. Come with me to James chapter 5, verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And throughout the next few verses, seven times he uses the word pray or prayer. He's bringing us back to one of the key resources that God has given to his people to grow in perfection, to grow in spiritual maturity, to press on to the difficulties and pains in life. He's showing us the great resource of prayer. Now, how many of you here know that prayer is important? Put up your hands. Okay, most of you are Christians. You know prayer is important. We instinctively know that prayer is important. It's an essential part of who we are as Christians. But the fact is, most of us neglect 
prayer in one form or the other. Charles Spurgeon used to call the prayer meeting the engine room of the church. Yes, he was up there in the Metropolitan Tabernacle a pulpit preaching, but underground, there was a group of believers praying for the service. And he knew that if they were not praying, that God would not be moving in his preaching. We instinctively know prayer is important. But friends, the most poorly attended meeting in the church, not just in one covenant church, but definitely in one covenant church, is the prayer meeting. It's the prayer meeting. We will go to every meeting, but we will skip the prayer meeting. So we say prayer is important. But some of you have never ever been to the prayer meeting. Now, why do we neglect prayer? I think there are two reasons. Number one, we often don't understand what prayer is. There's so much information out there about prayer, so many books that can kind of confuses us. So in that confusion, we kind of step back and we say, hey, I don't really understand this prayer thing. We don't understand prayer. But the second reason why we don't pray is because we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. We've become Christians, maybe in a rally of some kind, a friend has led us to Christ, but we've never been tutored in the school of prayer. Now, we're going to try and address that as a church. James begins here by showing us three types of prayer that are essential in the Christian life. Next year, I hope to preach through the Lord's Prayer so that together as a church, we can grow together in this discipline of prayer. Prayer is essential to the Christian life. Prayer is like the lifeblood of the Christian life. Without prayer, we cannot grow. Without prayer, we're just pretending. If you're not praying, we're straying. And therefore, we start here, but we'll continue this in a full sermon series next year as we go through the Lord's Prayer. And James here, in James chapter 5, verse 13 to 20, he shows us three types of prayer that we need to grow in spiritual maturity. Personal prayer, pastoral prayer, and plural prayer. Personal, pastoral, and plural. Come with me to James chapter 5, verse 13. James says this, Is anyone suffering? Let him or her pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him or her sing praise. My friends, singing praise to God is a form of prayer expressing our thanks to God. That's why in this season when we're not able to sing with one another, many of us sense a, a kind of lack in our spiritual lives because we're not able to sing. Now, this is God's sovereignty, and in His sovereignty, He has withheld this from us. But in time to come, when we're able to gather together to sing as a corporate body, there will be much joy as we once again are able to enjoy what God has given us as a means of grace. But friends, even if we cannot sing together, we can sing individually. We can pick good and sound songs that express our thanksgiving to God. God invites us to come before Him in our pain and also in our pleasure. He invites us to bring every experience in our lives before Him and to talk to Him about it. John Calvin says, there is no time in which God does not invite us to Himself. Afflictions stimulate us to pray. Prosperity supplies us with occasions to praise. We find comfort in God in our suffering, and we complete our joy in God by praising Him. Now, together as a church, one of the great gifts that God has given to us in this year is this place that we're meeting in right now. I don't have time to go into the whole story, but it is a semi-miracle that we're actually worshipping here. 
We could not afford this place, but God in His mercy moved heaven and earth to allow us to worship here. Sometimes when I come in to use the co-working space during the week, I kind of slap myself. I'm like, are we seriously here? Right smack in the middle of the city. Are we seriously here? And I realize we are. And you know what I've been doing? I've been making a conscious effort every time I come here to thank God for how he has brought us here as a church. I know we don't deserve it. I know we couldn't afford it. But God in his mercy gave us this place. And I want to be conscious in thanking him for the good gifts that he's brought into my life. And you know what that's done for me? That's made my joy even richer. I've become happier. You see what thanksgiving does is, it completes your joy. It completes your joy by showing you that everything you have in life is a gift. You did not deserve it, but it's given to you by Almighty God. And as you thank God for those wonderful gifts that He has poured out in your life, big and small, your joy and your happiness grows. And that's what He's inviting us to as a church, as well as individuals, as we come before God in thanksgiving, thanking Him for the good things that He's poured out into our lives, our joy grows, our joy increases. Friends, then there are other times where it's too painful even to pray. My daughter, uh, Clarissa, she's now seven years old, but when she was eight months old, uh, she was diagnosed with epilepsy. And the way that we found out was that she suddenly had seizures, she stopped breathing, and we had to rush her to the hospital. And in that first year, it was very difficult because every few months, we would have to rush her to the hospital. We would have to rush her to the hospital. And I remember one particular time, she had to stay overnight. Uh, She had a plug on. She was asleep. She was unconscious. And all I could do was hold her in my arms and just cry and cry. And the only prayer that I could pray at that time, my God, my God, my God, help me. And friends, maybe some of you are in that kind of place where the only prayer that can come out of your heart is God, help me. You know what James says? If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Friends, Romans chapter 8 tells us that God listens even to the groans of our hearts. We don't have to have fully articulated prayers before our God will listen to us. He sees us in our suffering. He sees us in our pain. And he says, pray. Come before me. Even if all you can pray is, my God, help me. If that is the only prayer that can come out of your mouth, and even if those words cannot leave your mouth, your God invites you to come before Him personally, to cry out to Him. You don't need to be ashamed of prayers like that. You don't need to be afraid of prayers like that. You don't need to feel that God is going to stand afar off and, and ignore me somehow because my prayers are so unsophisticated. If anyone among you is suffering, God says, let him pray. In every circumstance of life, we bring our hearts, we bring our lives to God in prayer. We can find comfort in God, in our suffering, and we complete our joy in God by praising Him. Friends, I want to invite you. I want to invite you on a journey of personal prayer, bringing every aspect of your life before God. He hears, He sees, He draws near, and He answers. 
And friends, you need this. I need this. We all need this. The ability to come before God to groan. The ability to come before God to praise. To pray personal prayers. My friends, that's not the only prayer that we pray. God doesn't just call us to pray alone. Look at verse 14. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now this two verses are one of the most difficult verses to interpret in the whole Bible. Uh, that's what the commentators say. And broadly speaking, there are two ways that this verse has been taken. One is the Roman Catholic way, and they've come up with what we call the extreme unction. That's a sacrament that Catholics will uh, administer to someone who is dying. So on your deathbed, the priest will come with oil and apply the oil to the head of the person who is dying and pray a blessing. Extreme unction, right? So that's one of the interpretations of this passage. Now, the problem with that interpretation, of course, is verse 15 says the Lord will heal the person who is sick. Whereas in an extreme unction situation, the person's on his or her deathbed. Now, what extreme unction teaches us on the one hand is that God works through ceremony. God works through sacraments. And although this anointing of oil is not a sacrament per se, it is what Dan Dorani says is something that you call quasi-sacramental. There's a certain ceremony behind it where you apply the oil on the person. So even though it's not completely right, there are things that we can learn, even from the Catholics, when they apply the oil in extreme unction. Now, on the other hand, you have the Pentecostals and the Charismatics who tell you that this is about a faith healer. So some kind of an evangelist, maybe, who's been given the gift of healing. And what you're supposed to do when you're sick is to go to one of these healing rallies. You will lay hands on you and you will be healed. Now, the problem is really that here, there's no mention of the gift of healing. And the people that are called to pray are very ordinary. They're not given an extraordinary gift of healing. The people that are called to pray are the elders. Now, elders, of course, are the pastors and shepherds of the church, the group of men that God gives the responsibility to shepherd the church. These are ordinary men. The word pastor and elder is actually synonymous. You look at Ephesians 4 verse 11. So these are your ordinary pastors, not some kind of extraordinary faith healer. Now, what can we learn from the Pentecostals and Charismatics? I think what we can learn from them is a sense of expectancy. That God is real. That God is alive. That God is at work. That God is healing even today. So they may not have it completely right, but there's something we can learn from them. From the Catholics, we learn, hey, God does work through ceremony. Don't undermine ceremony. It is quasi-sacramental. From the Pentecostals and Charismatics, we learn a sense of expectancy that my God is real, that He is at work in history, that He is interested in healing and restoring. Well, what exactly does this passage refer to? It says here, if anyone among you is sick. Now that word sick can also be translated weak. And that kind of weakness or sickness is both physical, but it's also mental, emotional, and spiritual. 
So it's any kind of sickness or weakness. Now, given the context, it also most likely refers to someone who is very sick. Alec Mathieu points this out. He's an Old Testament scholar. He says, you see, uh, that the elders have to come to this person. So this person is so sick that they have to call the elders to go to this person's house, the whole group of them. Take MRT, go to the house, right? This person is so sick that they cannot, he or she cannot go to the elders. And it also says that they're praying over this person. Uh, it kind of conjures up the, the picture of someone who's lying prostrate because they're so sick. They're in their, uh, they're in their sick bed. And the elders are actually standing over and praying over them. This is number one. Uh, this is a very serious sickness. It is not your common cough and cold. Although actually now common cough and cold can be quite serious. Huh? But it is, just, it is generally speaking a very serious sickness. Secondly, they are to anoint this person with oil. Now what is this business of anointing with oil? My friends, when you go back to the Old Testament, oil was used to set apart kings for their service to God in the nation of Israel. It's a symbol. It's a symbol that this person has been set apart for God. So used in this quasi-sacramental sense, what the oil does is symbolize that this person is sick, the elders have come, but we are setting this person apart for a special work of God as they pray. So that's a symbol behind the oil. Then we ask, what is the prayer of faith? I want you to make a few notes here. Number one, there's nothing mentioned about the sick person's faith. There's some false teaching going out there that tells you if you have enough faith, you will be healed. And if you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. The faith here doesn't refer to the faith of the sick person. The faith here refers to the faith of the elders, the ones praying. In fact, this person is so sick that, that it, they probably can't muster up much. And they're dependent on someone else to pray for them and to have faith on their behalf. My friends, faith is not some kind of nebulous force. Faith is simply trusting God and His promises. And what these elders, men who were mature in faith, who knew the Scriptures, what they were doing as they came to pray for this person was to stand on the promises of God, was to stand on the promises of Scripture. They knew what Scripture said about sickness. They knew what Scripture said about sin. And they were standing on those promises, trusting in those promises, and praying for those, that person. It's not something zappy or anything like that. It's purely trusting in God and His promises on behalf of this person. So that's what's happening here. The person is very sick. All the elders to come and pray. Now the question arises. Verse 15 says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Does that mean that every time the elders pray for someone and anoint them with oil, that we have a guarantee here that they will be healed? And does that mean that we should actually put the doctors out of work, that we should no longer go for medication, we should no longer go uh, to the hospital if we're sick. We just turn to the elders. Uh, they will pray for us and we will be well. Is that what verse 15 is promising here? Now, a few things to note. Number one, as we look at other parts of Scripture, 
we know that sickness and even serious sickness will continue to be our experience until Jesus comes again. A few examples. Paul has his thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. Most commentators tell us that some kind of a spiritual, uh, sorry, some kind of a physical uh, a disease, some kind of an issue. Paul himself tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23, use a little wine. Now he's not saying get drunk and you know drown your sorrows in wine. This is medicinal wine. Drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now this is the Apostle Paul, okay? The mighty Apostle Paul. He could have prayed for Timothy and healed him, but he says, take medicine for your stomach. Okay, take medicine for your frequent ailments. And this same Paul in 2 Timothy 4 verse 20 leaves his partner in ministry Trophimus ill or sick at Miletus. So we see from the rest of scripture that sickness will continue to be part of our experience. So what in the world is James talking about here? What is he talking about? I think for us to understand what he's saying in verse 15, we need to read it in context with verse 16. So let's read it again. Let's draw out some lessons here. Let's look at verse 15 and 16 together. James says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now some of you have the NIV, and I think it says the prayer of faith will make the sick person well, right? Is that right? Okay, that's translating the word save. Okay, so the literal sense there is save, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that they may be healed. Do you notice something, stranger? Look at verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And in verse 16, confess your sins and pray that you may be healed. You have a sick person who is saved and you have a sinner who is healed. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't it be a sick person who is healed and a sinner who is saved? Why does James do this? Why does he say that you have a sick person who is saved and you have a sinner who is healed? My friends, because as you understand the context, especially as you look at verse 19 and 20, James's main thrust here isn't just physical healing. What's he concerned about? Look at verse 19 and 20. He's concerned about drawing back those who have wandered from the faith, those who have sinned, and bringing them back into the fold, bringing them back to God. So he's not just interested in physical sickness. He's also interested in spiritual sickness. He's not just interested in you being healed of whatever physical ailment you have. He's also interested in you being healed spiritually healthy, drawing back the sinner who has wandered away. In other words, I think what James is talking about here in verse 15 is not any kind of sickness, but it's a particular sickness that is associated with sin. Now, Australian cleric Philip Jensen, not a charismatic by any chance, he says this, James is asking if there is particular sin that might be the cause of illness. If there is, then when the elders pray, this sin will be forgiven and this person will be healed. So the promise here 
is not healing for every sickness, but a particular kind of sickness that is associated with sin. Now, I know when I say that, you're all like, oh, wow, very intense, eh, this one. Oh, really, boy, James, very intense one, okay? But let me clarify. Let me give you four clarifying statements to help us understand this, okay, and apply it well. Is that okay? Give me some time, Ken. Four clarifying statements. Okay, number one, all sickness is as a result of sin, but not necessarily your sin. Okay, listen to that again. All sickness is as a result of sin, but not necessarily your sin. You see, God, in Genesis 1 and 2, never intended death to be part of our experience, never intended sickness to be part of our experience. But in Genesis chapter 3, because Adam and Eve sinned against God, they rejected His righteous rule and authority, there is now sin in the world, and the world is under a curse. Death now becomes an experience of every single person. Death. And as long as death remains the experience of the human race, sickness will remain the experience of the human race. So it's true that sin is at the root of every sickness, but not necessarily your personal sin. So if you fall sick, it may not necessarily mean it's because you sin in a particular way. We live in a sinful, broken world. We live in a world that's under a curse, and we feel the effects of that curse all around us. And one of the ways that we feel it is we get sick. Not our fault that we got sick, not because we sin in any way, but we live in a sinful world. So very important, okay? All sickness is as a result of sin, but not necessarily your personal sin. We live in a sinful, broken world. Having said that, secondly, the Bible does talk about some sicknesses that are as a result of personal sin. We say this when we are celebrating the Lord's Supper together, but in 1 Corinthians 11.29, Paul addresses a church that's marked by fighting and factions. They're backstabbing one another, they're killing one another with their words, and they still come together and eat the Lord's Supper together. And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11.29? That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So there are factions, there's sin in the church, and they still come and eat the Lord's Supper. And because of that, Paul says, some of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They sinned by lying against the Holy Spirit and they were struck dead. So there is some sicknesses in the Bible that are as a result of personal sin. Now think about the audience that James is addressing. James chapter 2, they showed favoritism to the rich, they despised the poor. James chapter 3, they cursed one another, they were jealous of each other. James chapter 4 and 5, they quarreled, they fought, they boasted, they exploited the poor, they grumbled each other. Is it any wonder that James then asked them in chapter 5 verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you sick? They were a church that was marred in infighting. They were a church marred in sin. And friends, the Bible does say that there are some sicknesses that come about as a result of of personal sin. Friends, and even this is grace. Even this is God's grace. Let me show you why soon. Thirdly first, in no way does God discourage us from seeing doctors 
or taking medication. In no way does God discourage us from seeing doctors and taking medication. Those are God's gifts, and we would be foolish to neglect medical treatment when we're ill. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to throw away your medicine. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God, and in the Word of God, we have Paul telling Timothy, take some wine, some medicinal wine for your frequent ailments. In no way does God ever discourage us from seeing doctors and taking medication. Fourth point. As Christians, on a path to holiness, we live in a constant dynamic of repentance and faith, confessing our sins and receiving the forgiveness of sins. If you are a Christian, repentance and faith, confession of sins and receiving forgiveness should be part of the normal cycle of your life. It's not just at that rally that you repented of sins and believed. It's a daily occurrence. You come before God, confess your sins, you receive forgiveness from Him. That should be the normal pattern of your life. That is how God leads us and grows us to spiritual maturity and perfection. And friends, whether or not you're sick, whether or not you feel weak, whether or not a sickness is as a result of personal sin, we should already be confessing our sins. And we should already be repenting. But that takes a bit of the sting out of this, doesn't it? Because this should be the normal Christian life. Sinclair Ferguson, a Scottish theologian, I was listening to a sermon that he preached on this very passage. And he said something interesting. He said, do you notice that when you're sick, you become more aware of your sinfulness. When you're sick, you're lying in bed, you're not able to get up. You become more aware of your pride. You become more aware of your anger. You become more aware of where you fall short before the glory of God. And friends, can I say that that is God's grace in showing us where we fall short. In His severe mercy, sometimes, God allows sickness into our lives to show us where we need to get right with Him. In other words, when we're talking about healing prayer, we need to see that God is not just concerned about our physical healing. He's much more concerned with our spiritual healing, that we are standing right before Almighty God, that sin is being put to death, that we are walking in holiness, that we're forsaking sin, that we're embracing grace, and we're growing in holiness. Do this mental exercise for me. Think about it. Which is more important to you? Physical healing or salvation from sin? Physical healing or salvation from sin? Now, of course, the correct answer is salvation from sin. But think about your normal experience. We actually trifle with sin, don't we? We play around with sin. But when we get sick, oh, we must be healed. God is concerned with both. But friends, can I just say, sin is a much more serious problem than illness. Illness may give you, lead you to physical death. Sin leads you to eternal death. 
And God wants to resolve those in your life. And one of the great gifts He gives is for us to be able to call the elders of the church to come over, anoint us with oil, and pray for us. And God will restore us in that way. Some of you like Doan, hey, very troublesome. All elders, very paisy one, you know. They come to my house and put oil, that kind of thing. Precisely the point, my friends. It takes humility, doesn't it? It takes humility to say to the elders of the church, I'm in need. I'm in trouble. I can't get out of this by myself. I need help. Friends, you know when we resist things like that, it shows us we don't really understand the depths of our sin and how much we need Christ and the gospel. So friends, if you are sick, be in a place where you can call the elders of the church. They know you. They love you. They can come over. They can anoint you with oil. They can pray for you. They can lead you in confession of sin. And if God wills it, He may heal you. Pastoral prayer. But finally, this plural prayer. Do you notice that James doesn't just want us to pray alone? He doesn't just want the elders of the church to come and pray for us. But in verse 16, he says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. He wants us to be praying with one another, confessing our sins, praying for forgiveness, and praying for healing. Friends, you can confess your sins and pray for one another only in Christian community. Because what this presupposes is that you have relationships deep enough in the church where you feel it's safe to confess your sins and where the person hearing doesn't run off but is able to comfort you, encourage you, rebuke you where it's needed, and pray for you that you may be forgiven and healed. And friends, this is one of the means that God gives us to forsake sin and to become holy. The gift of community. The gift of life together. Yes, you confess your sins personally to God. That's important. But sin runs so deep in your life and my life, friends, in my life. We need others in a safe community where we can bring those sins before them in all of their ugliness, where they will not recoil, but rather pray that God's grace and mercy be real to us. Some of you are saying to me, Aziz, I don't have time for community. I don't have time for this type of deep relationship. You know, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of effort, you know. Friends, Anything meaningful and useful in life takes time. It takes an investment of energy. It takes an investment of emotions. So when you say that, what you're saying to me is, that's not important to me. Now friends, what James is showing us is how vital and essential that is to us. Because apart from deep Christian community, we will never root sin out of our lives. We will never move on in holiness. That's why we make a big deal about church membership in this church, my friends. Membership is when you come into a church and you're known. Membership in a church is when you come into a church and you say, I want to know you and I want to be known. And I will stick it out when things get tough because I know I need this. I need you. You need me. We need each other to root out sin in our lives. We need to be in a place where we can confess our sins to one another and not be afraid. 
But second thing, friends, that's why as members, we encourage you to be in a community group. And it takes effort. It takes time. It's uncomfortable, my friends. But apart from this, you have no platform to confess your sins to another person and to receive that kind of prayer that God uses to help you forsake that sin and for you to become holy. God wants us, friends, to be in thick and deep Christian community, not because it helps Him, but because it helps you and me. That's the only way, friends, we will forsake sin. If you say, I don't need it, friends, can I just gently say to you, you have not, you have not truly understood how serious and deep your sin issues are. And you have not seen how, seen how great and big God's grace is. Because what God's grace wants to do for you is not just say, hey, never mind, okay, I've forgiven already. He wants to transform you. He wants to make you perfect and whole. And friends, we can do this for one another. Look at verse 16 and 18. To 18. James says that this role of play, praying for one another you can liken it to the role of Elijah. Look at verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. If you read the book of 1 Kings, you know he was known for his many miracles. When Israel turned against the Lord, he prayed. And there was a drought on the land for three and a half years. They repented. He prayed again, and God sent rain. Imagine the mighty power of God working through this man called Elijah. But don't you see how interesting it is in verse 17? That what James draws our attention to is not how extraordinary or supernatural Elijah was, but how very ordinary and natural he is. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah's like you. Elijah's like me. He's just a human being. In verse 16, he was a righteous person, but if you look at the story of Elijah, you know he wasn't perfect, don't you? At one point in his life, he was so filled with self-pity and depression that he complained to God. He says, God, you're not being fair to me. 1 Kings 17 verse 20. And then he was so discouraged that he wanted to die. He said, God, take my life from me as he was sitting under the juniper tree. Elijah accomplished extraordinary things for God and he was righteous, but only because he was an ordinary man in the hands of an extraordinary God. Only because he was a sinful man who had trusted in God and become righteous through faith. Just like you and just like me. We too, verse 16, can have great power in our prayers. Not because we are great, but because God is great and God is gracious. Not because we are righteous in ourselves, but because we are righteous through and friends, that's why you can pray for one another. That's why we can confess our sins to each other because God is great and God is gracious. He's working through needy, imperfect human beings 
like you and me, to bring about healing, to bring about salvation, to bring about forgiveness of sins, to bring about freedom in one another's life. Not because you and I are great, but because God is great. This is just a teaser, encouraging us to pray, encouraging us in our personal prayer, crying out to God in our pain, praising God when He has blessed us, involving the leadership of the church in your prayer line, friends, recognizing that you have such a need. And apart from that, you will not grow in holiness. And through a prayer, where we're praying with one another. Friends, as we draw the study of the book of James together, I know some of you are thinking, wow, this James here is really commending to us some kind of a radical Christian life. He tells us there's self-control, to be engaged in social justice, to be separated from worldliness. He tells us don't discriminate between rich and poor. He tells us your faith must work hard. He tells us there's a heavenly wisdom that you can receive. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Follow God's will. Be patient in dark times. And now, now, he's saying pray for healing and praying for salvation. Restore one another. I mean, this is the radical Christian life, isn't it, to many of us? But friends, our expectations are far too low. Because what James is presenting here is not the radical Christian life, friends. He's presenting to us, friends, the normal Christian life. This is the normal Christian life, friends. This is what he invites each and every one of us into. And this life is yours and mine, not because we are great, not because we are holier than others, not because we are more righteous than others, but because there was one who was holy, who was righteous, was radical. Jesus Christ. Everything in the book of James, you look at the life of Jesus, it marked his life. He was pleasing to God. And yet, in a moment of anguish, he went to the cross to die for your sins, my sins, to draw us back to God, to restore us to himself. And now, friends, and only now, in him, in union with him, the life that he lives and continues to live in and through us by the Holy Spirit can be ours, not because we are righteous, because he is righteous, not because he is great, not because we are great, but because he is great. Friends, when we trust in the righteousness of God in Christ, we can live and we can pray with great power as it is working. Verse 16. I'm going to do something a bit different in a pastoral prayer. I'm summarizing some of the key themes in the book of James, and I'm asking that after we've gone through this sermon series, that the Lord, by His grace and His mercy, would write some of these truths on our hearts. And let's come before the Lord in prayer and humility as we seek His help to live according to His Word. Our Father in heaven, as we conclude this study, we pray that You will not let us go until Your Word is written on our hearts until our lives are changed by your word. Wherever we are in our walk with you, whether we're confident or whether we're weak, I pray you help us to move forward in our spiritual maturity and wholeness, O God. 
Help us as you teach us in the book of James to embrace the trials and tests and temptations in our lives, seeking you always for the wisdom and the strength that we need. Father, we thank you again that every good and perfect gift comes from you. May we receive, O Lord, with humility and meekness implanted word that can save our souls so that we will be both hearers and doers of your mighty word. Lord, may we as your people, your church, be defined by self-control, especially in the things that we say to one another. Be defined by social action, taking care of the poorest and the least of us. Be defined by separation from worldly values. Lord, help us not to discriminate between rich and poor, but instead to recognize everybody as uniquely made in the image and likeness of God. Teach us, Lord, to love our neighbors as ourselves, whoever they may be. May ours be a living faith demonstrated by works of faith. And Father, I pray where faith is dead, convict hearts of sin today and make people born again to a new and living hope. Change our hearts that our speech might also be changed. May we utter words of truth and words of life. And may we shun all that tears down and all that divides. Give us wisdom from above that is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit. Help us, Lord, to die to selfish ambition and to live for your glory alone. Teach us, Lord, to use our time to use our talent, to use our treasure for true joy and for true service to you and to our neighbor. Lord, teach us patience. Help us to stand firm. And may we endure suffering as followers of your Son who suffered for our sins. And Lord, make us a people of prayer. We cry out to you, Lord, make us a people of prayer. Praying to you personally in our pain and praising you for every pleasure that you bring. May we, Lord, be a community that is safe, where we can confess our sins to one another, where we can pray for each other that we may be healed and restored. God, help us to see that though we are ordinary, in Christ we are righteous. And your great power works in us and through us. So help us, Father, to draw this series to a close, to continue growing deep in Christ and to go wide in sharing the good news of Christ and in doing works of mercy. All this, Father, we pray for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King. Amen.